Welcome to Roger and me, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and me, a Siskel and Ebert tribute slash imitation. Call us whatever you want. We aim to bring the Siskel and Ebert vibe to your Friday every week by talking about every new release that comes out theatrically or on streaming or wherever you watch movies these days. If it's like a, I don't think we've done like a crackle original yet. But there haven't been any of those in a while. Uh, that might not even be a reference that tracks anymore. Joe Dirt 2 may have been the last Crackle debut. Uh, my name is Brett Arnold, at Brett Redacted on Twitter. I am here with fellow film critic Mark Dusick of MarkReviewsMovies.com, where you can find reviews for all these movies we're about to talk about in print, so to speak. In online print, so to speak. There are all, uh, all the text reviews are up there for this week, and a couple that we're talking about on the pod this week, Mark actually reviewed last week. So I'm playing catch up because Mark watches so many damn movies every week. It's very hard to keep up. What's up, Mark? Not much. I mean, you don't have to keep up. It's okay. It's well, (laughs) I'm doing my, I'm doing my thing. It's a little obsessive. It's just where I'm at right now. I love (laughs) it. It's fun to try to keep up. I still missed a few that fall through the cracks, but you know, I think you were mixed on Amanda, but I watched yeah. it and definitely really liked it. So I'm glad I caught up with it. And the YouTube effect is the other one we're catching up with. We'll talk about why I think it was worthwhile to catch up with that as well. But in addition to those two, there's eight new releases this week. So that's a total of 10 movies we're talking about today. And that somehow does not include Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which we already covered last week. So if you're looking for that review check the YouTube page and go back to last week or on Spotify, wherever you are, go back to last week and you can find that. Uh, This is kind of a lull of a week, despite it having 10 movies, right? Like, uh, well, it's not a lull of a week because I, in my mind, Mission Impossible came out last week because we're talking about it. We talked about it then. But no, it is out this week alongside the other movies we're talking about, including Theater Camp, which I called it Sundance and was delighted to revisit ahead of this podcast. We're talking about Bird Box Barcelona on Netflix. Uh, I hope you you caught my Hilaria Baldwin style pronunciation of Bird Box Barcelona. Um, a Fire, the new Christian Pizzolts film. Uh, Amanda, as I've mentioned. Final Cut, Earth Mama, The Miracle Club, Quicksand on Shudder, a documentary called Black Ice about hockey in Canada. And unfortunately, everybody... We had a big splash to make about next week's episode. Uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie, of course, are coming out next week. It's Barbenheimer weekend, if you're online enough to know what that means. We had the full cast of both movies lined up to do the show today. They were about to be here. They were all going to come on. You're about to see on the Zoom screen, if you're watching, 15 different windows. All the cast, Margot Robbie, Killian Murphy... Chris Nolan, Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie. If I already said that, she was going to be here twice. Um, but the, 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 the Screen Actors Guild just started striking as of midnight today. So they had to cancel. So you just it have happens. to deal. It happens. It happens to the best of us. Act like you've been there before, right? doesn't bother yep. us. No, Mark and I are going to power through. And we're still going to review all these movies for you guys. I'm going to pretend like it wasn't even going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have even mentioned it, honestly. Yeah, I know. It shouldn't have, but you know. I don't know. I like to I like to keep people in the loop. This is a 
This is not a one-way relationship. Have a parasocial relationship with the show, you guys. It, it's, it goes both ways. We're here. We're here for you. Um, and you know who else is here for us? Searchlight Pictures with the terrific Theater Camp. And I'm not joking in my delivery. I actually really love this movie, and I'm excited to talk about it. And I am glad Mark seems to agree. Here's the trailer. Theater Camp. Welcome, auditioners. You guys are so talented, so unbelievable. This will break you. This will fully destroy you. Congratulations on being the most talented kids at camp. Starfish. Starfish. Jiggle like a jackal. Jiggle like a jackal. These are the things we can do with masks. Really weird. That's a good song choice. I, I do believe her as a French prostitute. Famous. Oh, I'm sorry. Sex worker. Thank you. Sad news. I will not be doing piercings anymore in the hut because there's a narc amongst us. Um, Cassie has narked. It's totally fine. We're going to need to prioritize the musicals, which means the straight plays are going to have to be acoustic. Quick question. What's a straight play? There are musicals and then there are straight plays. So then what would be a gay play? I guess a, a, a musical. Oh, cool. I feel like this movie's easy to sell. Because if the title theater camp makes you go, I want to see that movie, I think it delivers 100%. There's no person who says that out loud who will be disappointed by what this movie delivers. Uh, do you agree with that weird statement I made? I do. I, I really love the fact that it has this entire knowledge of theater in its bones. And it doesn't make a big deal about it because it just exists of knowing all this stuff about all these different musicals and plays and stagecraft elements and all this stuff. And it just, it just plays off of them to the point where like, yeah, if you have some kind of background to understand those things, it's going to be funnier. But even if you don't, it's still funny because it's just a bunch of eccentric characters who are really likable. And it's, it's a really weird problem that I have with this movie. It's, it's a good problem to have. I wish it were longer because I wanted to spend so much more time at this place and get to know these characters more. Um, that's, that's where I'm at with it. I'm just going to start off with that statement. Um, I love that. And it's actually interesting you say that. One of the interviews I read with Molly Gordon, who stars and wrote and directed alongside it, alongside a few other people, she said the first cut of it before, like when they assembled it after they had shot and needed needed to make a deadline for Sundance. It was over three hours long. <laughs> and she said it was just all, you know, the movie's mostly improv. They did like the Curb Your Enthusiasm style of like basic setups and then just go and improvise. And that's how they got all the jokes in the movie. And that's what the movie ca uh, came out of, aside from like obviously the big numbers and whatnot. And what she said was like making the movie was so hard because she said the stuff we cut out, honestly, she, she would say it's funnier than what's in the movie. It's just like the stuff that needed to be in the movie needed to fit the narrative that we're making. So it's like killing your darlings, uh, cutting all that stuff out of the movie. Only to say, I agree with you. I, I'm dying. I hope this movie is such a hit that it becomes a criterion release and we get all three hours of that footage of comedy can be so horrible. And it's so, it's so nice to see uh, improv done by very talented comedians. And that's what you get here. I've never liked Ben Platt before. And he is terrific and funny here. Molly Gordon, who's always delightful, is genuinely hilarious in this. Jimmy Tatro, who you might know from Netflix's American Vandals, probably where a lot of people know him from. Hilarious show. 
He's on Home Economics on ABC. Very funny guy. He steals the show, in my opinion, as Troy. He's so funny in this movie. Um, yeah, I think this movie, you don't need to be a theater, someone who went to theater camp or was in plays in grade school or whatever to appreciate it. But I think the people who do have that connection to it will just feel like this movie is a loving homage to this type of person or this type of uh, community where like it could have been, I feel like some people would might say it's making fun of these people or something. And it's just absolutely not true. It is just, it is just a loving portrayal of very eccentric and very funny people. And it never makes fun of them. It's very, as I say, loving, it's got heart to it. And it's just such an undeniable crowd pleasing movie in that it's like sneaky in how it, has a third act that will probably make you cry if you're invested in these characters just because the act of what they're doing like they as someone in the movie says like the summers come and go but the stage is eternal which i feel like is a idea that a lot of movies get at lately like babylon was all about how movies keep you alive past your actual expiration date or whatever and like this movie is kind of about similar things about like the magic of the communal experience of being in a play and like, there's so many great little character arcs for people who, you know, a tech guy who might actually become a star, have bigger ambitions. It's just about like following your dreams. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do anything. It's a celebration of like art for art's sake. You know, it definitely has like the corporate entity creeping in, trying to bastardize what they do and they won't let it. It's just a really fun movie. And like, it has all these great elements that we could talk about all day and why it's so funny. But I think it's just crowd pleasing in a very basic way where I haven't seen a movie in a screening room, which is basically full of critics where people applauded at the end of the movie. <laughs> and that's what happened here. Like it's just such an infectious crowd pleasing mo- uh, movie that builds to such a great, wow, they really did it. They made this musical. That they were joking about the whole movie and it actually is affecting and it works. And then the movie just ends and it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's like 90 minutes. And I can't praise it enough. I saw, I've seen it twice now at home at Sundance and in a theater now. And it played just as well both times. It's definitely one of the, it was definitely the biggest surprise out of Sundance for me. Uh, And I still think it's like one of the bigger surprises of the year in terms of did not expect a movie called Theater Camp, just just like a unassuming comedy to be like a contender in my top 10. But it feels like it could absolutely be in there. Um, It feels like, Waiting for Guffman mixed with like Wet Hot American Summer. If that sounds like your vibe, I think you'll love it. Uh, what else you got to say about it? Um, I the only thing I can I can say is that yeah, I, I I maybe adding to some of the details of why I liked all these characters. Tatro's character is this like you know online business guy who clearly knows nothing about business, so he's instantly funny, and he's a good stand-in for people in the audience who might not have any kind of theater background because exactly. he's there and yeah. learning everything along the way and but he's also just funny on his own um there's this whole bit, bit involving like child labor <laughs> that's, that's disguised as immersive theater that's just so funny and it goes it i yeah i don't Even want to spoil the, anything about that. the little the little details about that character like they just cut to him at his desk and he's got post-its everywhere everywhere yeah and one of them says it's just you can read it in his voice. It's just perfect. It says, "Go off creatively," <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like that's his big plan. Oh well, I, I gotta just go off creatively, and it'll be fine. And he's just so funny. All of his little schemes to 
get keep the theater camp afloat. Basically, this reluctant guy inherits the camp from his mother, who God bless Amy Sedaris for showing up and doing nothing in this yeah. movie because she's so funny, one of the funniest people ever, and she gets sidelined. But it does lead to some very funny jokes, like that last joke. The hospital bed yes, is very yeah. fucking funny. It's funny before that, too, because there's a, there's a joke before that building up to it that, yes. that then turns into a different joke that's paid off yes. in a completely, completely different way. Yeah, it's I mean, yeah, this movie made totally me good. laugh, Mark, from one of the opening title cards. It was like there's yes. a title card on screen. I don't I don't want to ruin jokes in the movie, but like it's just like very dry humor. But like, how do you describe the humor in this movie? It's not just dry. It's just all kinds of humor. It's just constantly throwing jokes at you. So like a joke could read, you know, she fell off. She had a seizure during the play and it was the first <laughs> bye bye birdie related injury in the theater's history or something. And then like uh, the character actors you love, like what's that lady's name? Caroline Aaron or something. Uh, yeah. She's so goddamn funny in this, like people driving by and she's screaming. This is a bucolic setting. <laughs> it's just it's laugh out loud. Hilarious. I laughed out loud both times I saw it. I was in tears laughing. I was in tears just like at the like little moments where you're like, oh, that's why these kids are here. Like they're talented and they're going to be somebody someday. And like this is them starting their dream. And like there are really amazing kids in this movie, too. So it has like that school of rock quality to it. Right. Where you're like here for these kids doing this amazing stuff. Uh, yeah. I love yeah. this movie. I could see like a lot of the kids who are at the camp having bigger storylines expanded like on an yeah. extended version. There's only like two who really figure into it, I think, in this in this version that we get. And right. that's and that's fine. Um yeah, you know what? I'm I'm warming up to the whole documentary thing. I know I had like I started to think like, oh, it's it's fake documentary just to get us more immersed in the whole world. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine with that. But now I'm thinking about it it seems to be like the big complaint people have is that it doesn't take advantage of the documentary setup now i'm like mm. but no it does you're right there's just those text those text those text yeah. interludes just telling us little gags and stuff like probably one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie is something that introduces a character and it just has a description lied on her resume oh, and yeah. i i bust out laughing so much just at that because it well because yeah the, the implication it, the whole rest of the time is just the whole that. rest of everything yeah, else yeah. everything else i love stage combat what is that well it's it's taking theater to the extreme no okay like, like what a legal stage a legal definition would be great if i could get one um oh yeah, my god it's yeah. so great so i'm warming up now even to the one thing i kind of like have an issue with is like maybe some bigger acknowledgement of the fact that there's a movie being made about it, but who cares? I mean, we watched, we've watched tons of fake documentaries that never acknowledge the existence of the camera. And they're yeah. still really funny. I think it's, I think it's stuff like the office. Yes. That has really gotten us, you know, all the, all the fourth wall breaks that happen in these things. It like makes you like, Oh, if the movie isn't self-aware of the fact that it's a fake documentary, it's yeah, not I worthwhile, it, but I, you know what? I, I think it also adds that, like we're spending time amongst these people, like almost like a nature documentary vibe. But yeah. It's about a theater camp crew who is so kooky and crazy. Like I, one of the things that another thing I read, there was this profile of Molly Gordon in Washington post that was like, they tested the movie and they had to add way more Rebecca Diane, which is um Molly Gordon's character because as a director, her instinct was to like highlight other people and the 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 audience kept being like I, we need more of molly she is so funny 
Um, and she is. And I'm glad that like the cut of the movie that we see, she definitely factors in heavily and gets to be very funny in it. And it's like a mode we haven't really seen from Molly Gordon, who's been like an indie darling and on TV a lot. And she's doing she's doing I would say she's great on the bear, but like, I don't think she has anything to do on the bear, but be like intriguing. And she gets to be really goddamn funny in this movie. And she's very talented, clearly, as a director. Her parents are both directors, I believe. Um I think it's an incredible debut for like these writer directors. And I hope it's a hit. I hope it's like a sleeper little movie for searchlight. I hope people go see this in a theater. I brought a friend who w- went to theater camp and was delighted by the trailer and she had a great time. I just think, I just think it's great. I, I can't believe I, it just feels weird that like searchlight has this movie. It feels like an anomaly. I don't know. Searchlight doesn't really release stuff like this. Um, and there hasn't I been actually- a movie. They picked it up from Sundance, right? That's right. They paid like $8 million or something for it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's already a hit for those people who made the movie, I guess. Uh, yeah, go see it. I hope you guys go see it. I'm with Mark. I think we're united at three and a half stars yeah. for theater camp. Yep. I'm a big fan of this. I'm, I am I have watched it twice, too. I'm gonna, oh, I'm you have? Say it. Yeah. I watched right. it like almost immediately because <laughs> I just was like, oh. Well, there's so again. many jokes. I mean, it's his, so fun. Th- their names are funny. Her name's Rebecca Dash Diane, and he's Amos Klobuchar. <laughs> it is just everything about it kills me. There are jokes that every every name of one of the plays they they they, they wrote in oh, the past. You, is I could see like I could see yeah. like there's like the Crucible Junior is going on <laughs> yeah. on a different stage yeah. at one point. I will yeah. I will kind of want to see that. Maybe maybe God. that'll be a deleted the scene. scene gets... where, the scene where they name all the plays at the beginning and they're just singing and dancing like idiots. So funny. Yeah. The scene where she's doing like the past lives seminar with all the kids. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Hysterical. Yeah. And you were President William Howard <laughs> yeah. Taft. And this this is your last life, actually. Ah, <laughs> uh, God. It's so annoying to just Sorry, re- yeah, we're recall gonna... jokes from a movie, but God, we loved it. We had it's, a great time. There's so many. There's all so yeah. funny. It's yeah, it's just and and you're right that 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 big climactic show is very touching because it is about this woman who's absent and all the impact that she's had on all these people's yes. lives and continues to have and the son there's this moment like of Tatro's character just like watching you know an actor playing his mother singing to a baby him and he yeah. just kind of stops and it all hits him like oh that's what this can that's do that's what art is yeah it's just a movie about the power of the artistic community. It's one of those things where yeah. like if you're in any sort of artistic community, if you're a comedian, if you're a writer, if you're an actor and you hang out with other actors, like it's just like the magic that happens when those people get in the room together and put something on. And that's what we're all here for. We're talking about movies. So it's like a movie. You could also always read a movie like this as a movie about movies. But this one yeah. specifically is a very much about theater and about yeah. theater camp. And uh, I think you should go see it. Uh, should you go see Bird Box Barcelona at home on your Netflix machine? Let's talk about it. Here's the trailer. What are you doing in Barcelona? I found her. They've been traveling together, trying to find her mother. What about you? How did you get to us? Lo que estamos viendo no son casos aislados. Thousands of cases in Spain. Cover your eyes and avoid visual contact. Sebastián, está pasando en todas partes. Está pasando aquí. Salgo ya, cariño. Salgo, salgo ya.
whoa intense trailer um bird box for me mark it's famously the movie that netflix touted for a very long time as this is our most watched most successful movie everybody watched bird box it's when they debuted whatever goofy metric they use to talk about how many people watch their movies. I feel like they did, they debuted a new metric with it, whatever it is, however many hours watched or something, it was up there. And weirdly, tell me if you also think it's weird. I think there's two tracks to think about this. It's just weird or it's a very crude Netflix has data that says what groups watch things. And they decided, well, you know, Latin Latin people watched it more than most. So let's make a Latin focus spinoff. This actually happened to the Paranormal Activity movies. They have like a Latino focus spinoff because just crude data says that this is a demographic for our movies. Let's cater to them. So maybe that's what happened. But to me, it's kind of weird that the n- sequel to Netflix is what they claim wants to be their biggest hit, their blockbuster hit, is like an unrelated spinoff international side project called Bird Box Barcelona which I've said this before on Twitter, but it really sounds like an international spinoff of a Netflix reality dating show called Bird Box. Like it does not feel like a movie title. Um, With all that nonsense aside, I thought this was better. Oh, really? Oh, I don't. Well, caveat. I don't remember a single thing about the first movie. I watched it opening weekend along with the rest of America, apparently, and the world. And I just I didn't make much of an impression. I thought it was a quiet place knockoff, even though I think it came with from a book that came out before that, maybe. But like, it just felt cinematically like, well, they did a movie about where you can't be heard. What about things that can't be seen or whatever? And like, it also has like the happening vibe, right? Because yeah, you see something and you kill yourself. And a lot of the big scary stuff in the movie is like people killing themselves in various scary ways after seeing the unseen monster that remains unseen in both movies. Yes. Are we allowed to talk about whether or not you see the monster? Yeah, okay. a lot it's of, not, yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of things that they, they told us. We well, talk about what I saw. Me, oh, I forgot. I'll just say, yeah, don't worry about no it. No spoilers. That, yeah. No spoilers. And the, the definition of spoiler for this movie apparently is very broad and um, generous, okay. I guess. Cause it's like, Oh, don't talk about what happens in the first oh, 10 minutes of the movie. Interesting. Well, what I will say, and I guess that's perfect starting point. I think it's it surprised me with yeah, me too with what it was doing. Like it has <laughs> that we like, can't talk about. We can't talk about it. <laughs> great, perfect. We're hamstrung. Such let's, a great, such a great marketing maneuver. Too. Yeah. Well, let's just say there's like a sleight of hand situation happening regarding a protagonist situation. Is it a yeah. protagonist? Is it an antagonist? Well, who who are we following? I guess um, it made me go interesting that that we're following this particular person uh when it doesn't seem like he's a traditional protagonist that's as vague as i could be I guess. yeah that sounds about right i think yeah. we can talk i think if we just put that put a pin in that sure that's over there and then we can talk about like what the movie actually is doing interesting and different from the original bird box keeping that character and that whole thing over to the side unrelated yeah <clears throat> but yeah so in the original bird box which i liked because I think it has a pretty potent metaphor, that entire thing of this like world of people just, you know, destroying themselves and everything because of just fear um, that these monsters represent. I'm like, yeah, okay. It came out with it. It came out in like 2018. Yeah. It felt like, it felt like a time. 
it felt like a time when we were all afraid of something or other going on in the world. Um, And so it hit at the right time. And so I did find the central metaphor to work as more than just like a monster. So I did, I did enjoy that one. Um, I was surprised to find that you enjoyed this one more because for me, it feels like this one ultimately just starts doing the same things over and over again. Apart from the fact that it does address this other group of people who actually embrace these monsters and embrace what yes. it shows them. Um, and it just, it, you know, they just want other people to see it. And it really delves into that sort of mindset in a way that was a big surprise. I yes. wasn't expecting that. And don't you see that as a new metaphor that they're doing, which is like this one's yes. about religious extremism and people like using the facade of Christianity to like get to do terrible things or yeah, it just made, I was intrigued by the whole idea. You know, this movie, I feel like, isn't that, isn't the idea that, or maybe they, I don't know if this was explored in the first one, but it's definitely explored here where it's almost like the scarecrow in Batman begins where what you see is like what you're scared of. Like that's what you see. That's the, that's the scary thing. It could be like your dead wife or your dead mother, whatever is haunting you. Whatever it's, is. Yeah. Whatever would very, destroy you internally. Yes, it's very specific to you. So in this movie, there's a person who's like, you know, a God fearing person. So the idea that a God fearing person would see like gods and angels in all of this stuff, that was so fucking compelling to me. And that, honestly took me through the whole first half of the movie going wow this is actually good and then i said it takes you through the first half for a reason it just kind of goes nowhere you're right it doesn't really do anything new after that but i really think the thing we can't talk about had me compelled to be like wow this is surprising and i didn't see this coming so this is compelling but then the other elements i feel like it's classic prequel stuff where it's like i don't care about how it started. Like, I don't need to see the day that it's, it has like, it's funny that I already made the quiet place comparison because the quiet place part two has the same exact opening. I feel like the other, the the flashback where it's like, let's see the first day from this guy's perspective, um, which has felt kind of tired to me, but man, the religious extremism stuff, the, uh, am I a false prophet or am I really like the Jesus parallel, the false prophet versus like a wolf in sheep's clothing or whatever. I thought all those themes were just dead on and so cool. And then the movie just for me devolves into like a very ugly CGI third act with like, uh, like a, a ski lift or something. There's something yeah. that looks really shitty and it's just like, it, yeah, it's, yeah. Where are the, it's, oh, well, it's in Barcelona. Obviously it's in Bar- <laughs> it's like, Barcelona. Where does, where does Bird Box Barcelona take place? Where does it take? Oh yeah. Barcelona. Yeah. They're trying to get to this castle and there's yeah. a tram system. Yeah. yeah, and that, it does feel like very like oh action movie, and it it takes the focus away from the character that was the focus of it. It's just it goes off to these other two characters, um, and yeah, it doesn't it doesn't quite work. And just the wandering around and trying to keep everyone blindfolded, the idea of having like someone an infiltrator or something in there, yeah, really adds a different layer of suspense to it yeah it's fucked up um, like he can just he can ruin these people's lives by just like setting them up for failure like yeah yeah, yeah it's 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 such a really good idea that I, it is too bad that it just becomes just more wandering around in the dark because you can't have a character like that ultimately by the end of the movie it it, it sets up this idea but it doesn't want to follow it through to what i think is the logical end of it um yeah yeah and it just tries to you know you know, cut it off at the at the legs and just keep 
moving as if it's just bird box again, except this time in Barcelona. And yeah, yeah, it's too there, bad. There's no real bird box until the final seconds either. So if you're if you're looking for actual bird boxes, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's pretty light. They were they're replaced by like dogs in this movie, I think, I, for the most part. Um, yeah, there's some cool stuff going on with regard to the theme, as I mentioned. Like, I really love the idea, the metaphor at work. Uh, going on that they're really beating the drum on like this movie is definitely like metaphor 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 it's like beating you over the head with it and it was working for me until it just yeah it just becomes boring at some point and like you know mission oriented get to the church just not really get to the castle whatever it is like it just start it stopped becoming interesting at a certain point but i i don't know as someone who didn't like the first one i thought this was slightly better but like the slightly better is still two and a half stars for me Oh, okay. Max, yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm at two. Right yeah. on. And you're at three on Bird Box. Then. Yeah, three of them Bird Box. Yeah. Got it. All right. Let's talk about something we'll agree is good to varying degrees. I think it's great. And I think you think it's good to very good. So we will debate the merits of A Fire, Christian Petzold's new film, who I think Mark and I both like have liked things of his in the past and also have not liked things of his in the past. Uh, and we both like this one. Here is a fire. Todd? Hallo? Sag doch mal. Ja, wir werden nicht allein sein. Ich brauche meine Ruhe, meinen eigenen Platz zum Arbeiten. Ich bin nicht der eine Arbeitskollege, meine Mutter. Kommst du nicht mit? Nein, wirklich, die Arbeit lässt es nicht zu. Schade. Ich habe Buch geschrieben, beziehungsweise es ist ein Manuskript. Der findet es scheiße. Er kommt bei uns vorbei, um es mir in die Ohren zu haben. Darf ich es mal lesen? Auf keinen Fall. Also verstehe mich nicht falsch, aber eine falsche Bemerkung, ein blöder Kommentar. Schon gut. Ich habe es verstanden. Tell me, Mark, what is this movie and why is it a shame to relate to this very tragic character, <laughs> which I feel like we both do. And I feel like <laughs> to everyone, some degree, yeah. yes, and everyone who likes this movie will probably see themselves in this horrible asshole Leon. Uh, and that's a big part of the movie and why it works, I think. Yeah. It's like, to what degree do you see yourself? And what degree do you like, oh, I hope I'm not like this guy, <laughs> please. Um, yeah. So it is about a writer, an author who's penning his second book. Um, and he, it's not going well. So he and his best friend uh, go to the friend's family's cottage by the sea um, in Germany, by the Baltic Sea. And yeah, he's just there to write. And he is miserable the entire time and catastrophizing everything that happens, every little thing. There's an unexpected house guest whom he hates immediately just because she has left the cottage a mess. She has taken the big bedroom so he doesn't have a place to sleep or to work, more importantly. And um, she keeps having some loud um, uh, interactions with a man yeah, in her bedroom at night. With she's having night, having loud having sex at night. Yep. So he can't sleep. And um, yeah, he's just, he's just awful. And it, it would be like, oh, okay, this is kind of annoying. Except for the fact that when he does have all the chances to work, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> He's supposed to be yes. working on this book and he's sitting around just staring at his laptop or he goes but, inside. But all he can talk about 
is how yeah. he's working and how he's yep. busy and how he can't go to the beach because I have to be here and work because writing is work. I can't help you patch the roof because even though that's work, I have work and my work yeah. is important. But yeah, he never gets anything done, actually. And notably, you know who does get stuff done? The friend who lets life yeah. happen. The yep. friend who lets love and life happen and goes to the beach and lives, gets brilliant inspiration and has actual brilliant art to display. Uh, yeah, it is just this portrait of this tortured fucking guy who, as someone who my biggest trigger, if I were to go to therapy and talk about it, it would be, I'm a control freak. I need to be in control of every situation. If I'm going to dinner with friends and we're all together, I will still drive myself so I can get home if I need to at any point. Stuff like that. This movie is about a guy who has that fucking problem. He wants control over everything. And this movie is about him losing that control at every scene. Every scene is him expecting one thing and getting the other. And this is a movie about that. It's about expectations versus reality. It's about projecting onto people, even himself. To him, he's projecting that he's a writer. So he says he talks about writing all the time, but he doesn't fucking write. And he doesn't know anything about... He doesn't, he, the, the most interesting thing about this movie is how it makes clear that he doesn't see what's right in front of him. Like his publisher having cancer or whatever it is. Or like just uh, the nature of the relationship of his best friend. The wildfires that are the wildfires. Well, like, And then there's another layer of, on this movie. There's a metaphor about what do our personal catastrophes mean in the face of actual global catastrophes that are encroaching on us and it has this huge metaphor it has these little metaphors going on and it's just what i like about this guy is he i feel like you could arguably someone could art you know write a paper about this guy and how he uses female characters and like how they're you know muses or whatever and just kind of non-existent manic pixie dream girl figures but that's like the way he writes, that's part and parcel what he's doing, you know? It's like, these are like fables in a way. I, his movies always like are at a higher level to me than like what you're seeing. Like there's a big lesson here. And this movie's lesson is like, what is it? Let love in, I guess. Like you have to love in order to exist and just be open to what's around you. It's just like this beautiful movie. And, um, you know, I love a movie that has like deep metaphors going on and we'll read a poem to you two times to make sure that you understand the deep meaning of it i was blown away by this the first time and i was equally thrilled by it the second time um i would i would probably like to revisit it at some point just because i found it a little one note as it kept going i did appreciate sure. all this the specificity of this character and all of those situations that he's in and how he reacts to it and how these other characters react to him i'm like yeah i get I get it. I get it. But it kept doing the same thing over and over again. By the third act, though, when everything goes really wrong, I'm like, oh, this is operating on a certain level. And then there's an epilogue that reframed the entire thing for me. I'm not going to say exactly how, but it reframed the entire yeah. thing for me as like, oh, it's not just Petzold who understands who this character is and what he's doing. There's another level to that when you realize at the end of what's actually going on and what that story that we've been watching might've been. Yes. Am I off base on that? I no. don't think so, but I think you're so totally I would, on. I would be interested to rewatch it and just see if there's anything like, if you know, like, Oh, this is the, pers the actual perspective of the movie. Yeah. It's um, got one of those classic 
uh, after sun Falcon Lake style endings that makes you go, hmm, hmm. what is this perspective? Yeah, what does this mean for for what I just watched? Um, yeah. yeah, I just love this movie and watching him project, you know, the idea that she's like this female character and he's projecting onto her, but she's not at all what he expects. Like she's like, yeah. she's the only one who's actually working. Like she's cleaning, washing, cooking, going to town, making a living. But because she has sex at night, he just sees her the way he sees her. And yeah, there's just so many little details about just how much of a miserable prick this guy is. And yeah, it's hard to watch in that way where you're like, yeah, I don't know. If anyone has ever had a smidge of imposter syndrome or something, I feel like they would get a lot out of, get a lot out of this. And I think it's interesting the second time I was plugging in on like, you know, his friend is like going to art school and it's like it's like he's putting together his portfolio. So there's like the idea that that guy's like all potential, you know? Like he has his whole life ahead of him and this dude's already written a novel and you know, feel like it was a fluke and he doesn't have anything left. And it was just like interesting dichotomy to have those two people together um yeah i i love this movie so much i think it's like deeply sad in a way but it's very funny um very beautiful i think a lot of people would get nothing out of this just like those pet sold films i get nothing out of um but i feel like if you're willing to accept what the movie's doing accept the characters for what they are and who they are the movie unlocks this really deep beautiful meaning about like not being <laughs> an asshole i guess the po- the possibilities of not being an asshole and just like being in the moment um like oh god the the tractor scene i'm not going to say what happens but like the yeah. tractor scene and how he's like you know thinking about the love thinking of the big picture like the lovers in pompeii and the meaning and all that stuff and being like no 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 she just needs you to be here now in that moment truly be here and grieve like uh, I just yeah I love that final scene too I think it's really great Um, the fact that she has a PhD in literary studies or is getting it and he's never asked just God there are so many great fucking details that song in my mind by the wellness that song is so haunting it's haunting it's it's perfect for the material yeah it's I've played it like four times since since watching the movie it is just a movie about like repression and how you can let those walls down and it, yeah, I don't know. It's about so many things. We barely yeah. scratch the surface, but I, it's a four star movie for me. I, I've cool. gotten, I've gotten there after two viewings for sure. I love it. Nice. Uh, strong three for me. Yeah. But I mean, I definitely recommend it, especially if you're a fan of Petzold's films. Um, yeah. I mean, you're right about the fable thing. I mean, he made one. Undine is <laughs> straight, straight up, up a fable, a fable. About a mermaid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and this yeah. one is, that's what I mean. I feel like all his movies, yes, that one is the most fable but like, I feel like yeah. they all operate on this Phoenix level. Where is. They, Phoenix absolutely is. And like, yeah, just the characters representing bigger things than themselves to, you know, that's how, that's how I envision when I say fable, I guess some would say you're just excusing goofily written characters. I'm like, no, they're really well-written characters that serve to a purpose that the writer is getting at. And that's yeah. he's a great filmmaker. I can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, Paula Beer is that her name? She is yeah. mm-hmm. just fucking terrific in this. I feel like yes, Nina Nina Haas was his previous little muse. Is that who, and now he's got her. She's great. I hope they continue making movies. Uh, I would love to hear what people thought of this. This is a movie that in the in the past I've been like I hesitate to recommend this to everyone because it's like very thoughtful art film. But man, I don't know. I feel like I just know so many people like this. 
or we could all we all know a guy like this. You could all relate to what's going on. And hopefully the movie's impact, which really starts to happen in the third act. I think it 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 definitely walloped me, and I think it will wallop people. It is has the power to wallop. Um, and I think this movie we're pairing it next with, it's a perfect pairing. This next movie is part of what I'm calling a new genre, Mark, which is the worst person in the world core genre. Um, it's got this sick of myself. There's got to be a few other ones. Um, this is definitely up there, uh, and the pet sold. You could definitely say that this is a movie that Petzold's movies about the worst person in the world type of character too. But these type of movies go about it in a comedic way that is sardonic and sending up millennial culture and how we are and stuff. And this is definitely one of those. So here is Amanda. Sai perché non fai mai niente, Amanda? Perché sei troppo impegnata a non fare niente. Amanda! Era un po' un problema conoscere ragazzi lì. Certe volte la sensazione che si trovino lì da soli il sabato sera perché non hanno nessun altro posto in cui andare. Questa sensazione poi è quasi confermata dal fatto che anche io sono lì il sabato da sola. Amanda, tua madre mi ha chiesto di non uscire più con te. Tu hai bisogno di farti degli amici. Tu hai detto a Giudi che non può più uscire con me. Amanda, hai 25 anni. Io uscire con persone della tua età. E dove li trovo? Appunto. A scuola? Nel mio gruppo scout? No, perché non me le fanno più fare queste cose. Amanda? I love that scene where she's trying to get by so she doesn't have to talk to her mom's friend. She jumps by so she's not going to be seen. Um, what is this movie and why were you just eh on it? Um, it is, yeah, it's about a um, 24, 25-year-old woman who basically has everything she could ever want or need in life. Her family like owns these, like a pharmacy and they're very well-to-do. Um, and um, yeah, and she doesn't take advantage or anything about it. She just kind of relaxes and is miserable because she doesn't have any friends and she doesn't go out and do much of anything except go to the movies um, and kind of look at people and not really talk to them and go to clubs and kind of wander around and not really talk to people and then complains about not having any friends or anything to do. And it's funny. It's funny. I laughed quite a yeah. bit. And then I just kind of like, okay, that whole that whole thing that I said like about um, a fire that's one note character doing the same thing over and over again yeah until a certain point in the specificity of all that I felt kind of the opposite I didn't get anything specific out of this character except that she's kind of a joke and it's a funny joke but you know she tries to make friends with someone who was like potentially could have been her best friend for life if her parents hadn't moved yes and so she makes this excuse of like oh i'm going to focus my entire attention on making this other young woman my friend Mm -hmm. it's a again good bit but yeah you know once everything is in place it just kind of keeps going and i didn't i yeah i just didn't quite make the connection beyond it being kind of funny yeah and yeah that's about it it's definitely just amusing and slight but like I feel like the worst person in the world and sick of myself are better versions of this movie. And like, this is definitely not my favorite of those, but I still thought it was worthwhile. I, the, the lead who looks like a young Italian Lizzie Kaplan. I don't know if you got that also, um, who of course that means I have a crush on her. I've had a crush on Lizzie Kaplan since, uh, what was her name? Janice Ian and mean girls when she was a goth, uh, all the way back. Oh then. yeah, that's right. She is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Goes back that far for sure. 2004. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed this as like 
a, a, com- a comedy about how hard it is to make friends in your 30s, if you wanted to look at it that way. Two different kinds of lonely people. One locked up in her room, the other just kind of hating human interaction, but but attempting it. Um, I like the idea. There's a couple just, I don't know, there's some flourishes in the writing that I liked. Like I wrote down the line, maybe good things never happen because I have no one to tell them to. Like, is that how it works? Like a self-perpetuating, like now you're getting it, <laughs> like a self-sabotaging thing. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot going on here. The blaming others for her lack of friendship, like her mom depriving her because she moved or whatever. Yeah, it's just the portrait of an annoying person. Um, but if you relate to it, I feel like you'll still get something out of it. So I'm still like a three star, respectable three stars on Amanda. Yeah, I'm less enthusiastic. Two and a half. I do. I mean, yeah, it, it's like I said, it is funny. I'm just like I kept waiting for something anything there's no bigger picture really yeah there's not that's fine Um, yeah and yeah and i could get that but i mean i just again i didn't find the character that interesting at start to begin with and didn't quite see any kind of not that that she needs to develop in any way but just nothing going on alongside of just that 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 path of you know being miserable and maybe kind of by the end figuring out something or other like okay all right yeah let's stay on this two and a half three star track or actually maybe you're less on this one uh let's talk about final cut from the director of the academy award winner for best picture the artist michael haven vicious has directed a french remake of a really great japanese horror film that i love called one cut of the dead that we have championed on the new flesh podcast my horror show for years uh it is on shutter now still i believe i hope it was a shutter exclusive at one point i think it's still there uh, so definitely check out one cut of the dead. Should you check out Final Cut? We'll discuss it. Here's the trailer. Ah, tu veux jouer, c'est ça? Eh ben, euh, t'inquiète, on va te trouver un rôle. Attends, mais mais c'est quoi ce sang là? On dirait du vrai sang. Mais qu'est-ce que tu fais? Ah un film de zombies? Et, euh, et attends, alors le truc, c'est que ça doit être un plan séquence. Un, un plan séquence. Euh... Plan séquence? Plan séquence, on coupe pas la caméra. Hein, une demi-heure euh, du début à la fin sans couper. <rire> <rire> Une sorte de, de survival, quoi. Panique, bagarre, poursuite, panique, bagarre, poursuite, tu vois. Est-ce qu'on est d'accord ou pas que c'est absurde C'est un truc de fou. Le truc doit être réglé comme du papier à musique. Le moindre accident, c'est foutu. Enfin, je veux dire. Ah, il y a une ambiance vraiment bizarre sur ce tournage. Do you want to sum up the, the very silly premise of this movie or do you want me to Um. I don't know because I don't. Where are we at here? Like this is a yeah, weird it's one tough. because like it's hard it's to so discuss. much. Yeah, because so much of so much. Of, I, hmm, yeah, I'll, so I'll try to. One do kind it. of the dead is all about surprise. This one's not as much, and so yeah, go ahead. I'll let you decide where yeah. we're gonna go. I'll say to start. My first recommendation is just watch one cut of the dead. Don't read anything about it. Don't don't listen to me speak in the in two seconds just watch it but if i if if you have watched it or you just won't and you just want to know what the deal is the deal is it's a movie that is it's like a magic trick it relies on what it does in the first act to deliver in the third and i guess that's every movie uh, if, if you really extrapolate but i mean very like literally it sets up a lot of gags and jokes in the first act and then just completely delivers on them like checking them off a checklist of very satisfying. Oh, I, I I get what that was doing. Oh, I get what that was doing now. It's a movie that is entirely reliant on hindsight 
And I feel like knowing in advance what you're getting will could could ruin the experience. So I don't want anyone to know anything about this. And my official recommendation is watch one cut of the dead instead of this. But if for whatever reason you're in a theater, this is playing, you need to see it. You haven't seen one cut of the dead. I still think you should see it. I think that's where Mark and I differ. I still think it's fine. It gets the job done. I think it is still fun enough that it will intrigue people to go seek out the original after they watch it. I would just say this is a slightly, it's a, it's definitely a much less good version and it's a slightly more annoying version. For some reason, the first 40 minutes of this movie, Final Cut, annoyed me and were grating. I think it's just the characters are grating and they're not fun to be around. And there's a lot of goofiness that you have to endure to get to get to that third act that is rewarding. And I think I haven't watched one cut of the dead in a few years. My, my memory is maybe it's a little confounding at first because you don't know what they're doing yet, but it's never annoying and it's never abrasive in the same way that final cut is just kind of throwing a bunch of shit at you aggressively in a way that I was kind of annoyed by. And I just don't remember that happening in one cut of the dead. But if we're still, I feel like I'm still talking around the spoilers. It's a movie. Yeah. It's a zombie movie about the making of a zombie movie. And the, 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 the gimmick of the zombie movie is they are going to make a zombie movie that takes place all in one take one shot. And it's going to be live on TV. I believe that's the premise of the original too, but I know that's the premise of the new one. I think it's the same setup. It is. Yeah. It's actually yeah. like shot for shot. It's pretty much the same. Mm, I mean, or not the, that the, first act. Yeah, I guess. Not the yes. first act. Not, not the first, the first act. act. Yeah. But like for the most part, it's, it's the same movie. And like, I think it's actually clever how it ends up incorporating, oh, we're doing a remake of a famous Japanese movie. I think it's actually clever and fun the way they do that. Even if there's like a couple jokes that just really suck that they're trying to throw in there to be meta that really didn't land for me. But for the most part, there are funny gags to that regard, even if it's just like the character names are Japanese for no reason. Like it's it's silly and fun. But the premise of One Cut of the Dead and the magic trick, if you want to have it spoiled for you, is that the first act, you're watching what is a movie. And then the third act, you're basically watching them shoot that movie that you just saw. And there's all these little tricks and moments. So like, you know, a guy throws up on a guy. And then like, it's revealed later that like, that was actually a drunk guy. And he he threw up and it wasn't supposed to be in the movie. And like, it's just like a movie that is, I don't know how to describe it other than like, what is that what do you call that easter eggs being revealed it is just like setting up things and then knocking them down and i think it's very admirable the way it does it i just think it in one cut of the dead it's like a magic trick that somehow works and you can't believe it because you know what's coming you've seen it already the movie makes you watch the first act again but this time it's from a different perspective clever it's funny and it delivers the gory blood a gorehound would want but i really think it's best experience having no idea where it could possibly go after those initial 40 minutes but man that payoff is such a treat inventive creative hysterically funny those are all things i said about one cut of the dead and i think they still apply to the third act here it pulls it off in the in a way that is still fun even if it's lesser now mark take it away yeah it's a lot lesser i think i i was annoyed with the first act mainly because it it does the joke wrong one cut of the dead gives you this one take zombie movie that feels like it is an actual existing thing 
yes. that people have made and that is being pulled off and you're like oh cool and there are like these little things that you're watching you're like that's weird why is that guy just sitting there while all this is happening in the background yeah. and it's like why does this you camera have to, linger for such you a have week, to be, long time on this yeah, shot yeah yeah why are they talking about this but it still feels as if it's of a piece like this is supposed to be the behind the scenes of the making of a zombie you don't movie. question like, it. it makes yeah. sense yeah because exactly you don't yeah you don't question the logic you don't question anything that's happening because you're like there's some there's some reason this is happening one final cut turns that opening into a bad movie and intentionally like it is it is bad beyond it's the one fact of those that, like, classic movies that disrespects horror thinks it's stupid I yeah think. yeah yeah exactly it's like it's it's beyond the fact like you have French actors with Japanese names playing Japanese characters beyond the fact that like, you know, you can, you can, the, the vomit gag beyond the stuff that's like obvious, there's like people who are clearly forgetting their lines and they will look vacantly. There are tons, there's tons of dead air in this movie of characters just kind of like standing around, like, yeah, what do we do next? And you can see that they're trying to be like, what do we do next in this movie that we're making? Not what do we do next? Because there are zombies around us. Um, and I think it ruins the joke. Um, you're right, though. At least the third act does, you know. But you know, it still delivers it, the like it delivers what the premise is. But yeah. it definitely, you're right. It undercuts itself. I didn't yeah. even consider that that it had it's done that. So clearly, just a piece of bad filmmaking. In to give us the point, like, oh, this is a bad movie. We're watching something that is falling apart, and let's see what happens to fall for it to and fall apart. The the trick, the magic trick of One Cut of the Dead is that it's all like a that love chaos. Letter. It's a yeah. love letter to the to the art of making this type of movie. Of what, yeah, yes. of what you can do in the moment through improvisation and through clever staging and through knowing the material well enough, because that's a big thing in One Cut of the Dead is that relationship between the father and the daughter who knows the script inside and out and can be like, oh no, no, it's okay, just take it, take cut all that stuff and move it there. And this one, it just like, I, I, it doesn't, it, it doesn't work as well for me in the third act because it's like, well, one thing I know the jokes that are coming. Because they're pretty much the same. Yeah. And the jokes that I know are going to be somewhat different because they're going to have to account for all that dead air or an actor doing a certain weird thing, like the one zombie with the pinky fingers. I like I I still yeah. don't know what the gag was with that. Like and even with the explanation, I don't know what. And the director having to bolt across this giant expanse of a resort or like this yeah. forest preserve resort or something. Like it's adding all these things it doesn't need to do just to try to be different and to try to be funny. And just like, just, I mean, you could make uh, the essential movie that one cut of the dead was, but with different scenarios that are, you know, and they different gags their own and they didn't. Yeah. And they didn't. And yeah. the way that they did make it their own with turning that first act into a bad movie just and, didn't work and for me. Pearl Harbor jokes added for no reason. Oh yeah. That's a dumb joke. Oh God. Oh yeah, yeah I it's really bad about that it's oh. really dumb yeah <laughs> but yeah i i still stand by I, I rolled my eyes at the we're doing a remake flourishes but i wound up thinking they were a nice touch i i think it's still it's just an undeniable premise to me so it still won me over even though it's like a warmed up leftovers shittier doesn't respect the genre version <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> Other than that. That's what I mean. That's how much I love One Cut of the Dead. Like, if I rated that here, it'd probably be like a four out of four. I loved it. I thought it was so fun, so inventive. Um, there's another movie similarly inventive called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes that if you've never seen, I think you should check out. 
Uh, just similarly inventive. If you're into that movie, you'll like this movie. That's, that's how my brain works. Um, but Final Cut, it never quite justifies its existence as like, oh, great, a French version of this. Like, I don't know why this exists. It's, you know, it's often we get American remakes of things. It's very rare to get like a French remake of the Japanese horror hit. So it's it's an intriguing like oddity that this movie exists and it's directed by the guy who made the artist an Oscar winning director. It's like strange. It's just a strange thing. And I don't begrudge it existing despite all that. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the, it's one of the most backhanded uh, lesser three stars I can give, but I still end up giving this three stars noting that you should watch the original one cut of the dead Japanese film on shutter instead. But if you happen to see this in a theater, you know you're in a you're you're walking by it's playing and you have you have the two hours or whatever it is i also think speaking of yeah, two it's hours, too long That's it's a little longer <laughs> it adds time it adds 20 minutes or something which all the dead need. air <laughs> all the dead air yeah the original just so much better i'm sure if i had watched one cut again i would be much meaner to this but because i saw it so long ago i like i enjoyed being reminded of how fun that movie was but i guess that's that's the rub of it it's just kind of a trailer for a better movie, like a, f- a feature length. This is good, but you want to know what's really good, where it came from. Watch the original. So that's my official review. Watch the original if you can. If you can't, or you're just you're a you're a completist, or you're a Michael Haven vicious head, and you need to see all of his films. It. I still think it gets the job done, but I totally respect Mark saying fuck that. It's not that. Yeah, good. I, yeah. I think it's two star affair. Although. I'm down for more countries and more filmmakers from different countries trying this again and seeing what they can do with it. Yeah. I, I think it is such an ingenious premise um, that I, w- I really would like to see more people try to remake it and try to remake it better than this. Um, so yeah, two stars. Think about how meta it could get if there's like yeah. 12 of these out there and then we do another one. It would just be it's I, it, fun. The universe one cut idea. universe. Yeah, I love it. Um, really fun and genius stuff. It's to me, it's like the original was like a movie that's about how fun it is to just, you know, grab a camera and make something with your friends and how it might look a little different than what you set out to do, but it might still be successful. I just think it's a great like that movie is a not a rallying cry to go make a movie or anything, but it's like, isn't it fun to make movies? And I feel like Final Cut is like, isn't it hard and annoying to make movies like and you work with people you fucking hate? It just has a different energy like a hate hateful energy <laughs> that the that the original doesn't um all right let's talk about earth mama a movie that i want to i want to support and get behind more but it just didn't work for me that well oh and maybe we'll figure out why because i don't think i've actually talked about it with anybody and i haven't figured out why uh so let's try to do that here's earth mama from a24 i'm here for every visit he doesn't want to go your children need stability, and at the moment, we haven't seen enough. What more do you need to see? You gotta start speaking up in class. Have you ever helped anybody with an open adoption? They try to take our culture, try to take our freedom, and you know they'll try to take our babies too. That's exactly why we can't stop fighting for our kids, G. (sighs) 
Mark, is it that I've seen such similar fare that did this type of movie and premise better? Is that why I had a muted response to this? Or is it something about this specific movie and the filmmaking that undercuts its message? Because for me, I could see both, but I definitely have an answer for the latter. What do you think? I think it's more the latter, too, because, I mean, we we could see tons of movies with similar premises and all that. Um, and it doesn't necessarily take away from that. But I think this one, which starts off as this very convincing and compelling social realist drama about a pregnant woman trying to balance work and being pregnant and preparing for a baby and also um, going to classes to fulfill this, you know, government mandated order so that she can get her two kids back already who are in foster care and also visit that just that whole juggling act of just trying to get all of that done while she lives with her sister, who's a drug dealer, I think. So if they found out about that, she would lose her kids. You know, she already well, lost that a kid. level. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So see, here's where, here's, I think where we're getting at the problem is that I think, it, it gets piles all of on that. melodrama. Sorry, it, does, it, it definitely does that. But also, I think it takes too many shortcuts in terms of the narrative and the theme once it has that all going, because then it wants to become sort of this dreamy look at the inside of this woman who who feels like a part of nature and everything. There is all this stuff, the, these visual metaphors going on that I they didn't land with me because I was so caught up in the beginning. And I wanted to see what happens with this character and how she's able to get there. And instead, it feels like everyone else is telling her story for her. And the parts that are about her are just these metaphors. And it, they're out there in the ether. And I couldn't connect to all of that compared to everything that is right there going on in the reality of her situation. Um, yeah, there's just something, this distancing effect that happens when as soon as like that character and her struggles just sort of just take they get taken over by like the whole adoption story yeah and the metaphors and these two friends who have like these competing philosophies of what she should do with her life and what she should do with the baby and how she what she, whether she should fight or whether she should you know give up the baby so that she can focus on the two kids she currently has and it's it, it i mean there is a compelling story there but it, it this movie doesn't tell it in a way that is compelling Totally. It's, you know, a classic movie about wanting to give your kid a life better than what you had, ending the cycle of abuse from being in the system. It like has these great ideas in there, but I found it to be like almost boldly unsympathetic in the ways it depicts its lead character. Like I would just say, and maybe it's the whole point and I'm missing it and I'm some asshole. But to me, this movie undercuts everything it's doing. It undercuts its own point by giving ammo to like the people who would say this person doesn't deserve her children and stuff. I feel like this movie constantly is giving you ammo to say, yeah, maybe she shouldn't have these kids. She's not ready because she does X, Y, or Z. And I don't want to give away any plot points in this movie, but especially in the third act, something happens where I like threw my hands up in the air and I'm like, am I watching like a like a Fox news produced movie about like what these, what life is like for these people and how maybe we shouldn't be so sympathetic to them. Like it, it's so bizarre that that was my read, but that's kind of what the movie was giving me. Am I, am I crazy to say, no, that? you are not. I had that exact reaction by the end. There is 
there does feel to be this underlying current, this undercurrent of judgment about the, about the character by the end. That does feel strange and like, since you have the whole movie building up to sympathizing with her. And you're right, there is very one very specific thing that happens in the third act that to me felt like it came out of nowhere. Yes, and I think the movie's trying to make some sort of grander point about how you still have to forgive this per- like people like this because addiction's hard, cycles of abuse are hard to break. Like I feel like I want I'm see I'm trying so hard to give the movie the benefit of the doubt that they're trying to do right and like depict a message worth hearing, but like it gets completely undone because I'm just like blown away by you want me to sympathize and you throw like just the most unsympathetic thing I could possibly think of happening that like is self- and you have and before that wound. Oh, sorry yeah and before that you have characters specifically saying those things like, yeah, like you're you're not ready you need to take responsibility you need to yeah. grow up all that stuff that you would expect from like a very judgmental portrait of this character yeah. that's all thrown at you before building up to that moment you're like what is what is going on here yeah I yeah. It, it just left me confused. I walked away being like, I think I know what this movie was trying to tell me and be about and shine a light on an issue. But like, it's just, I'm constantly trying to make, make excuses for what it was doing because it wasn't doing it very well. And yeah, I found it to be maybe like, you know, well shot. It looked fine. It was, it was shot on like 60 millimeter or something. It's definitely shot in a way mm-hmm. that is compelling. It looks good. But it never. I never connected with it, and by the end, I just was like blown away by the unconvincingness of what it was telling me. Like I'm just like, it's like hit, getting hit over the head with like a mallet in terms of messaging, and the messaging. But the messaging wasn't what it what it was leading up to. It was the complete opposite messaging than what I thought the movie should be giving out. Is, if that makes any sense. I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but also yeah. get at why it was so confusing to me. But yeah, I just think it's a well-meaning movie that, I mean, maybe I have to read interviews with the director to see what her intent was, but like, I feel like there's well-intentioned, it's a well-intentioned movie that maybe doesn't prove what it's trying to prove, I guess, would be what I say. Yeah. It doesn't help that it is become so ambiguous about the character too. Like yeah. the, the stuff with nature, that last shot at the beach, which you think is about one thing, but then you're like, wait, the, the setup for that scene isn't, you know, the setup that happened earlier for that scene isn't happening or is it happening? So the ambiguity of it too leaves you like, I don't know what message I'm supposed to take away from this, but what I'm feeling by the end doesn't make me feel comfortable about what this movie might be trying to sell me on. Um, and I don't know if that's if that's intentional or accidental, but it still left me feeling like, oh, that's... that's- My favorite letterbox review said, you get one A24 horror movie scene in your A24 depressing poverty drama. <laughs> <laughs> damn <laughs> they got him uh yeah i'm two stars on earth mama how about i'm you? also i'm also two stars if i had to recommend because we were just you brought up like movies similar vein uh a thousand and one much yeah, better very the recent covering somewhat similar ground and full time yeah also much better about the whole juggling of all these things while you're trying to have a life and have yeah. a family and have a career all that stuff two much better movies that came out this year that are worth your attention yeah all right now let's pivot to a movie we both agree again another movie both agree doesn't work let's talk about the miracle club even though i can't imagine us having much to say about this movie that's made for like grandmothers only (laughs) that's the demo it's grandmothers uh here is the miracle club with 
Maggie Smith and Kathy Bates with an Irish brogue and Laura Linney. Here's the trailer. Ladies. Best of luck. What's the name? Ladies. What's the name? The Miracles. First prize, two tickets to Lewis. Best of luck. He's so fine. She were mine. What do you want to be going to Lourdes for anyway? I always wanted to go there. If you go out that door, don't bleed and bother coming back. Miracles happen there. He could speak. How are you, Chrissy? My mother is dead. I'm in a place I swore I would never come back to. Hi. I wouldn't have recognized you. Forty years would do that, do you? I'd say, yeah, mixed. Yes, yes. Great to have her back. Marvelous. Is it even marvelous? Congratulations. You're coming to Lourdes. Who's going to have to do the cooking and the cleaning? Not me. I can tell you. That's your job. What will I do on my own? I'll be back before you know it. You will. The Miracle Club. A movie as, like, not confusing as its trailer. I don't want to say confusing. But, like, it jumps around in terms of like it had that nice little musical number that they sing and then they're in lords to find a miracle and learning as an adult that maybe miracles don't exist in the way you think they do um it's definitely it's not like a faith-based movie in the way we think about faith-based movies nowadays like conservative cinema but it's a like it's like an old lady faith-based movie what what did you think of this um yeah i mean schmaltzy it's... Well, how would you call? What would you? How would you describe this movie? Um, all over the place in terms of the tone, but I do yeah. think I do think by the end it finds the right one. Um, it just is a shame that it takes until the end of the movie to get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about you know a group of Irish Catholic women and a Catholic priest in like the late sixties, I believe, who travel to Lords looking for miracles. One of the one of the mothers, the, her kid hasn't ever spoken, and so she's looking for a cure. Kathy Bates' character found a lump on her breast, and so she's hoping for a cure. Maggie Smith is there to be Maggie Smith, and but not in Downton Abbey mode, which is refreshing because we've seen Maggie Smith at Downton Abbey Road for so long now yeah. that it's like, oh, look, Maggie Smith could be full of regret and grief and be convincing in that in that uh, in that mode too. Yeah, and then Laura Linney just. Just staring, just staring with so many loaded looks that you're like, yeah, yeah, I, you've been through a lot. I can see it all, and I appreciate it. I appreciated all the actors in this. Um, I appreciated where it goes, which is, you're right. I mean, it is like it feels like it's about a faith message, but then by the end, it's more about like, oh, if we're looking for a miracle, why don't we start looking among each other instead of looking up to like these healing waters in France? Yes. Like, I, I found that touching. I found it moving i found everything else building up to it to be like confused there's a whole thing with all the husbands at oh, home having goofy what, adventures as like that's what, is what took it down for me as like i thought it was totally fine like i'd still recommend it to like my mom maybe my mom's not like religious or anything but this movie's like accessible enough to like a non you know it doesn't isn't just for people who would find mess like a faith-based message appealing it's also for people who would find a Kathy Bates, Laura Linney, Maggie Smith movie appealing. Um, and I think it would ap- it appeal to that crowd. But yeah, that whole subplot with the hapless dads who don't know how to change a diaper at home, like, Whoa! Or, cook. Yeah. or cook a basic yeah. meal. Just like, it was such sitcom garbage. Yes. That really took me out of what was otherwise like, 
not a particularly in- compelling movie, but it was perfectly engaging and um, like it's just the story is about them singing a song to win a contest so they could get money to go to a place where they think they could find a miracle. Like it's just so like aw, that's so yeah. sweet that they thought that would and work. Then the little boy, the little boy gives them the ticket because they yeah. got runner up and got a ham. It's like well, oh, yeah. okay. Well, yeah, it's because so the kid, the kid sings a banger of a tune, and that yeah. they all know at that moment they're like, "Oh, we fucking lost that kid. <laughs> that kid is great." Um, yeah, and then there's just a lot of like r- family relationship drama between Laura yeah. Lenny, who's been gone for forty years. Just a lot of like, you know, how all that's going to resolve. It's just a little cliche, you know. That's another yeah. thing keeping it from me being like, it's fine. But I'm not going to be too mean. I'm very. I'm, I think I'm right where you are. I'm like two and a half stars. Um, would recommend to a certain subset. I would say if I used, if I were still working, this actually is a joke you might understand because you go to movie. You've probably been to this movie theater. If I were still working at the movie theater in Evanston, uh, I would recommend it to everyone who was going to see movies on the art on the art house side. This is the old people cine art six crowd. Uh, for the- I have been to that theater. <laughs> You've been among the seniors that inhabit it. Uh, and yeah, it's a perfect movie for that crowd. But, you know, 30-year-old dudes do not apply. There's no need for you to watch this movie, I think. Yeah. Review. Uh, but but with a little bit of extra effort and a little bit more attention to the characters and none of that sitcom that takes you away from the yeah. story it wants to tell. Yeah. Like, that's it's 15 minutes or so out of like a 90-minute movie. That spends on the the husbands being jerks or being completely incompetent, and it's like that fifteen minutes could have gone towards some character development or some re- relationship development, something. Yeah. yeah. With the characters we're actually here to watch. Anything else yeah. would have been fine. They could have just yeah. cut it all. The movie would have been yeah. A that would have been fine too. Yeah. yeah. I don't need the husband's plot at home. It's fine. They're all they're all at home and they're watching the kids and everything's fine. That yeah. that also works. Um. Yeah. Two and a half for the Miracles Club. Miracle Club, miracles, miracle, miracle. the miracle, miracle. Club. singular, singular, the miracle. singular miracle. <laughs> yes, because because miracles don't exist. All right, let's watch a trailer for a new horror movie on Shutter this weekend. I believe it is called Quicksand, and it's about quicksand. Here's the trailer. How's it feel to be home? It feels weird to be in Colombia. These rainforests look amazing. You're dreaming if you think you have time to hike. It's good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, man. Hola. Yeah. It's a pretty great room. I just don't want to sleep in the same room as you. You should tell me before dinner. Sophie and I have decided that we're going to split up. You guys are the perfect couple. I think I'm going to go. To? Chachi. It's not safe to go hiking around here by yourself. Is this the only road? Like if we drove through this area, we'd get there faster? Las Arenas is not a place you want to find yourself. Evil locals won't go there. Hey, we gotta turn back. We're going back. I definitely don't want to get caught in that. He's breaking into the car. Hey, can I help you? Yada, yada, yada. Speaking of incompetent husbands. (laughs) (laughs) Yada, yada, yada. They get stuck in some fucking quicksand, okay? That's the premise of the movie that the trailer does not want to get to for some reason. It's really building up to to that. But you know what would be what could be worse than being stuck in quicksand, Mark? Being stuck in quicksand with your freaking wife. Am I right? That's what the premise of this movie is. It is very much it leans on the divorce angle 
more so than the quicksand angle, which I think is why I come down on it more mixed than positive. But I need to say up top, this is like my bread and butter genre. I love a survival thriller that takes place in close quarters. Uh, I love a movie like Fall that was about people climbing to the top of something and getting stuck. Uh, I love 47 Meters Down, which is about uh, Mandy Moore getting stuck in a shark cage with very limited supply of air under underwater. I love any movie that's a survival thriller because that inherent like terrifying nature of the premise and the fact that you as the viewer are just a, you you have to put yourself in their shoes and go what would i do if i was in the on the fall tower or if i was in the shark thing in 47 meters down it forces you to put yourself in their shoes and it just it just scares me they always scare me more than any other type of movie i get so tense edge of my seat stuff like these this is the genre that does that for me more often than any other and this one just does not have that level of tension that is required for these movies to work. I love a, a crawl, Alex Aja's crawl, Kaya Scolidario, is that her name? Like any any movie like that, if they do it well, I'm going to give it three stars and say it's good. This one, not quite there. And I think it's because it just is so focused on the marital status of this couple and their their problems and I love how, you know, even in this quicksand situation, their marital problems come up. Like he needs to, he has an alcohol on him to get the ants off of her. But that that reveals that he was secretly having alcohol on him and he's an alcoholic and he shouldn't. So like there are certain little things. I'm like, the writing's actually not bad. Like I think it's fine for what the movie is. But it's just like, is it that it's too cheap to deliver what we want from it? It's just, it's very underwhelming from the, I should be watching this, I should be terrified. Quicksand is an, an inherently terrifying concept i do not want to be stuck in it why did this movie not work are you do you agree yeah well as john mulaney said growing up i thought quicksand was gonna be a lot bigger problem than it turned out to be i almost wrote that as my letterbox review. i almost finally answering I, the question yeah i had to i had to force myself not to quote that because i'm like this is this is yes. too this is too that's what the podcast quote. Is for. we can say yeah, exactly pull it out of here but yeah <laughs> Um, so it's, I didn't find it that scary. I mean, the, the, the idea, the concept of being stuck in quicksand. Yes. Am I going to find myself in a situation where I'm going to be stuck in quicksand? Probably not. Cut to 10 years from now. And that's yeah, like, you're on your little headline. Here we go. Vacation. Yeah, here we go. Succumbs to quicksand. Yeah. But beyond that, the big thing with these survival thrillers for me is always, it's always about the little details. It's always like, Okay, what are the stakes? How are they stuck? Why are they yeah. stuck? How are they going to get out? What are they going to use to get out? This one feels like it has a few too many conveniences. Oh, of yeah. like, oh, I hated, I hated the way they, they got stuck. Stupid. There's a bag of goodies. There's a literal bag of goodies in the quicksand with them that is like everything they could possibly need to get out. By the As soon as yeah. I showed them, like, if they don't get out of this, there's something wrong with them yeah. because they have everything, everything that you could need. And all the stuff like the ants and the snake. Oh, you mean you mean Chekhov's ants and Chekhov's yeah. snake? Yeah. Um, the, my issue up top, the first thing I wrote down is this is some clunky expository dialogue, and all of the all the exposition just happens via very clunky, clearly stated dialogue. The opening scene in which it's like a classic horror movie where like some other random people encounter yeah. the, the quicksand. The first thing the guy says is, 
oh man, it's really insane that we're hunting here. We should have stuck to scamming tourists. <laughs> like, just no one, no one talks like that. Like, oh, God, we should have stuck to committing crimes. I really, I can't handle this, this, uh, whatever other thing we're doing now. It is, yeah, it just, it's very clunky. And I think the performance of the main couple is actually fine, even if. Me too. Yep. I think she comes, like, again, the dialogue just isn't helpful for anybody, but they come off fine. And it's just more of a relationship melodrama than a terrifying white knuckle survival thriller even though there are moments that i think work it just ultimately there's not much you can do and this these movies are all about what you do with the not much you can do situation and this movie just didn't impress in that regard right yeah yeah i i I might have appreciated the 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 relationship melodrama a little bit more just because at least it's doing something that's not you know Oh no, look out for the thing now. There's this danger. Oh it no. It was realistic in their anger at each other and yeah. how, how many times they say fuck. I feel like that was oddly realistic. Like saying fuck way too many times, which I feel like when a couple is flustered and fighting, that could totally happen. So there's like little flourishes that work. And I actually kind of love, tell me if I'm reading too much into this. I would say there's like a central metaphor going on where it's about taking the plunge to save your wife from the quicksand, so to speak. And that's what marriage is, you know, getting in, saving your wife, even though it's fucking yourself to do so. <laughs> I feel like there's, it's trying to do something there. Uh, maybe. And then <laughs> you, you don't look for metaphors I mean, curious, in your shutter originals. No, I don't always. I, <laughs> I mean, it was about quicksand, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I guess it's kind of there. And then by the end, you know, or not by the end. Let's forget that part. At a certain point, he has to trust her to do something, and he doesn't yeah. quite trust her. But it turns out it was a good idea to trust her. Yeah, so, yeah maybe it's there is a metaphor. It's a it's a marriage metaphor. Marriage is like quicksand. I haven't finished out the punchline, but the movie, I guess, does well enough. I don't know. Yeah, it's totally okay. Yeah, it's, it's two and a half. It's two. You're two or two and a half on it. I'm two and a half on it. Yeah, I think I'm also two and a half on it. It's totally fine. Yeah. It's easy uh, to make fun of, but there is like yeah. it, I, it. The idea behind it is good, and I like that it does. Oh wait, I was about to say I like that it sticks to them in the quicksand. Like oh well, wait, there's the whole subplot at the friend back at the hotel that kind of takes you out of it too. Yeah, like, I don't like that. Another stuff. thing, another thing that's like if they don't get out of it, <laughs> there's something I wrong know. with them. And like the whole thing with the guy robbing the car is just all such a convenient, silly bullshit yeah. to get him there. So yeah, it's just like. Some liberties taken. There's like a better version of this movie out there, but it's not horrible. Totally fine. Two and a yeah. half stars. Two and a half. It's easy to, like I said, easy to make fun of, but it does have at least a good idea, some good performances. And yeah. when it is focused on what it would be like to be stuck in there with um, some, a difficult relationship, it, yeah, it functions. Let's jump to another two and a half star film. Uh, Black Ice, exclusively in theaters at AMC. From producers LeBron James and Future, the rapper, I believe. Uh, here is Black Ice, the Canadian hockey doc. I'm skating down the ice. I see an object fly by me. I'm like, kind of, you know, what is that? I take a glance. I'm like, it's a banana. Whatever happens, we got to put our head down and shut our mouth. This is what's wrong with our game? Akeem Alou claims that Flames head coach Bill Peters directed racist language at him. Hard stuff to talk about. Racism. 
It's ingrained in the game. I had to keep my mouth shut and just move forward. It's a cultural problem within the sport of hockey that goes unchecked. Montreal's P.K. Subban wins the game. Meanwhile, 17,000 racist tweets were posted. It's meant for you to feel like you need to stay in your place. This is our sport. We go all the way back to the 1800s in the Colored Hockey League. So don't want anybody ever tell you this is not your sport because this is exactly where you're supposed to be. I feel like that trailer did a better job of tying the two threads of that documentary together better than the movie does. Do you agree? You're nodding with me. I am. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement about that. It is so strange that this movie, which is trying to do two very good, noble things and one big thing to shine a light on racism and hockey and the history of it and how that goes into deeper issues that are going on in Canada. Yeah. And it doesn't make that connection in a way that feels right. It's like it's one half of it is stories from current players or former players, professional, amateur, junior, all those different levels that as Americans, we don't entirely know about. I assume it's a lot like our baseball leagues, but we don't know all that. We're not as into hockey, but it's the Canadian national pastime Um, at all those levels. All those players talking about these very direct, very clear cut examples of racism targeted against them. And also ones that point to the entire system of hockey as a sport. Um, having racist elements to it that are not being addressed in a compelling way. And then you have this history of this all black hockey league that existed from like the 1800s and carried on until this really terrible event happened. And I believe it was Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, it was Halifax. I think, yeah, it was Halifax um, that just completely decimated the league and this entire community out of nowhere. Like just these various interests like just took over this community i was like oh these are both very very compelling stories on their own but they never come together and i never quite got like i i want that connection to be made um and it never it never gets there and it's really too bad because we just just last week talked about the league which does so many things about about the the all-black baseball league and how it connects into history directly and telling all these different stories it's it's really too bad this comes out a week later when you have a clearly superior movie in terms of the narrative and in terms of how it presents its case. It's very similar subject matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a week yeah, a week after, you know, that movie's all about the Negro Leagues and US baseball being, I think it's a quote from Black Ice I'm using here, quote, absented from the narrative of the sport. And that's what this movie's doing about the Colored Hockey League in Canadian hockey. But the movie is splitting the difference between telling that story and very specific instances of racism in hockey from the NHL level to the like youth level. And, you know, it is the same story as the league. Uh, and I just you're like it's easy to see how these two threads do come together as the trailer made clear with that one line. But the movie, it just doesn't weave them very well. It's informative. But those personal stories, it feels like an aside rather than like it's informed by the story about the Colored Hockey League. It just is, it's just not a very compelling documentary. Like, what else can you say about it, right? Yeah, that is, yeah, that's the big problem. Again, very, very important subject matter. I wish the narrative matched just 
how important this story is to tell. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. the short of it, really. It's just a boring doc. It's talking heads. Everyone tells a personal story. It's just like it just feels stitched together rather than like narratively focused and building to something and like what you want out of a documentary. Not to get too harsh on a just like a, a piece of infotainment, but like it just needed to have more organization and some sort of chronological order to it to be like a compelling movie. But as is, I'm with you. It's a two and a half star experience that's highlighting an important subject that you will learn about a little but not enough. Yeah. <laughs> you'll learn about yeah. it a little and you'll be like, I should Google more because this movie didn't, yes. <laughs> it didn't tell me enough. Um, there was a lot of Googling after the fact because I'm yeah. like, oh, wait, what did I miss out on here? Because it sounds like there's a really good story here. And this is another, we'll talk about this with this next movie. Let's talk about the YouTube effect, the latest doc from Alex Winter who did the doc on Frank Zappa called Zappa. I think he's on other docs, but you may know him. You probably know him as, is he Bill or Ted? He's one of he's Bill or Ted, the one I who's not Keanu. With my wife, and I'm trying. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you think Keanu's top build and is would be Bill, but uh, so he would be Ted. He is Bill. Oh, Bill wow. as Preston, top top build, top Bill, oh. top build, Alex Winter and uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and Bill and Ted's bogus journey. He is now a filmmaker. He's made a movie about how YouTube is scary and terrible. Uh, and it's pretty good, but it's just another movie where like the subject demands more than what the movie allows. I feel like, but it's still pretty good surface level stuff. Here's a trailer for YouTube, the YouTube effect. Kind of felt good, didn't it? I'm Brookers, and I'm an internet celebrity. Hi, How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to my channel. I'm like this introverted kid. I can do this on my own in my bedroom. Upload it. People can enjoy it. Here's finally a service where if you want to get a political message out there, if you want to get some kind of message out there, I fell down the alt-right rabbit hole. You can use this platform. You're not going to be able to turn on the TV and be able to see this. Web giant Google will pay $1.6 billion to gobble up YouTube. The, uh, the making of YouTube. Here's your new key to the new office. There was no doubt in my mind that this was going to be a huge trend of the future. YouTube celebrities are laughing along with their fans all the way to the bank. This kid Ryan who earned $22 million what? this year. They want growth, growth, growth. Everything's about growth. They are obligated. It's kind of funny how the YouTube story parallels the like why writers are striking right now. <laughs> it's just at the, everything being sacrificed at the altar of growth that doesn't exist, so CEOs can get a hundred million dollar payouts and then fuck off. It's all very fucked up. But that's not what the movie's actually about. This is more a movie about the rise of YouTube as a space that has rivaled television for viewers' eyeballs. More people watch YouTube now than any other thing. I feel like it is ubiquitous. We all know what YouTube is. This movie, how would you describe it? It like gets into why it became an issue and how it's like a threat to society in terms of how the algorithm chooses to show people information. I, of course, just wanted to focus entirely on that. But the movie focuses has to focus as like a history of the thing and an indictment of it. And I don't know. Do you think it splits the difference well? Or, or what, what do you think of this movie? I'm 
is a chronological, you know, narrative about YouTube just from the beginning until a couple of years ago, I think is about yeah. where it ends. Cause it, it was funny watching like Susan Wojcicki is like interviewed for this. And it seems like it's, Oh, this is a big deal. Very we have the CEO outdated. of YouTube. Yeah. By now, by the time the movie's released, like she's out the door. <laughs> it's like, oh, also okay. hilarious to hear her talk about like how important it is to keep misinformation off the platform and stuff because like yeah. those are policies that all got rolled back recently because profits are more important than information safety. So now like you can you can lie about the 2016 election on or the 2020 election on YouTube now explicitly. It was a policy that you couldn't and now you can. And like you know, I wanted the movie to, I don't know. I just know too There's much. A lot I feel of, like. It's <laughs> impossible to keep up with. It's impossible to keep up with. And I think that that's why I like this movie maybe a little bit more than you did, is that it, it tells a story of how the site has evolved, how the platform has evolved, how the way that people use it and exploit the algorithm that's at its heart now um, have evolved in a way that we cannot simply keep up with as individuals or as a society. Like, there's no way we can do it. Um and I mean, there's there's all the talk about Section 230, which was very controversial when Trump was in office and saying we gotta we gotta get rid of it. And yeah, now totally we're all misguided. like, wait a minute, maybe wait a minute, maybe it does need to be changed. Like, don't get rid of it, but maybe it's got to be changed a little bit. Yeah. It was it was really too bad he hitched his wagon to that because I think it, I, there were clearly obvious problems with Section 230 even when Trump was saying it need to get rid of yes. get rid of. But a lot of people who don't like Trump are like, no, there's no way we have to protect that. Well, piece of legislation there's, there's that just clearly a misconception, work. I feel like, about what it would do. Like, right-wingers yeah. who yell about oh, it yeah. have no idea the implication of, oh, what you're saying would mean these websites couldn't host your garbage, <laughs> your crap that you're missing, your right-wing misinformation. Like, it would be illegal. They couldn't. <laughs> like, yeah, they couldn't. all the... Everything, yeah. every, every, every site that would have all those things would be legally liable. Exactly. For any kind of defamation, it, anything that it would, would destroy the right wing ecosystem. They would be, and yet they the, claim that's what they want. They have no idea. Yeah. yeah. The so-called <laughs> censorship that would happen on that is apparently happening on YouTube, as people say, would actually be happening. Yes. All those things would be because yes. they do not want the legal struggle of having to put up with that. Yes. Anyway, that's beside the point. I found it to be engaging and fascinating to see how this little tiny thing. It was all about people showing like their cats. And the first video on YouTube was a trip to the zoo. It's like all this yeah. innocent fun stuff suddenly turns into people storming the Capitol because they saw some stuff on YouTube yeah. or people falling into neo-Nazi philosophy because they wanted to. I don't even know how they get into it. There's this one guy in the trailer who fell down the alt-right pipeline and suddenly he's watching all this stuff. And he gets out of it. It's like it starts so innocently and then it. You know, they oh, uh, my favorite people part, take advantage of it. My favorite part is the really scary R-rated content that's like animated for children that people sneak. Oh god, into. that was yeah. That was horrifying. There's a lot of crazy stuff on there. Basically, it's about how it's like a you know unregulated wild wild west out there, and the company keeps trying to get ahead of it, but really can't. And yeah, it's everything's been exacerbated so much since this movie was clearly sh you know shot and edited. And they try to get it at that stuff, but there's just so much. And I think that's my only issue is that like it's a top, it's a volatile subject that is already that is constantly shifting, and there's new information. So it's just hard to be like, yeah, this is a, this is the definitive YouTube documentary because it's like no, the story's still very much being told right now, and we're living through this horrible uh, YouTube culture where people have you know people get their news from it, and a lot of it is just people have no 
credentials and it's crap. And oh, there's a lot of reasons why YouTube is dangerous. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a, it's a pretty good documentary. I'm still three out of four on it. I think it's interesting. Oh, you are. Oh, OK. I'm still fine with it. I just I, I think I wanted more out of it. And I'm just like, as someone who's very online, I'm just like, I would add some more to this if I were you. But like, <laughs> why didn't you include this person or yeah, that person? <laughs> It's just an annoying take to have, but I think it's perfectly reasonable. It's a better doc than like Black Ice. It's like put together well and does have a chronological story to it and does feel more put together, even if I'm still saying it's I want more because the story's ongoing. But what can you do? Yeah. You can't go to the future. So three out of four. Well, Bill S. Preston could. <laughs> that was uh-huh. silly. Very silly anyway, of me to make that there joke. We go. Yeah, uh, I love it. Uh, Three, three out of four from both of us, I think, on that one. Yep. And, and be that- sure to like, share, and subscribe on YouTube. Yes, please like, share, subscribe. <laughs> Get radicalized by our reviews. I don't know what you would do if you like watched hours and hours of our reviews back to back. You'd like go to the cinema or something. Something horrible <laughs> like that. Realize there's more to film criticism than just pointing out plot holes yes. and saying there's a woman in this movie that had men in it before and I don't like it. Nah, we're going to pivot to CinemaSins style <laughs> criticism as soon as uh, I uh, finish this episode, actually. I, watching the YouTube effect led me to some new ideas for the show. We're going okay, we we're go. gonna, to we're gonna game the algorithm. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Sound of Freedom again next week. <laughs> uh, follow Mark on Truth Social. Uh, <laughs> no, nope. I don't even want that. <laughs> we're not on there. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're on Twitter for the for the time being, somehow still. Um, all right. And there's my dog in the background. He showed up to say it's dinner time. And uh, thanks for listening to the Roger and Me podcast. Uh, I never gave my whole spiel up top on the show and what it is, but I think you guys get it. We used to actually, did. yeah. I like to give my whole. We used to watch the Siskel and Ebert episodes. And then talk about those old movies and reevaluate them, which really helps explain the Roger Ebert and me title. But I didn't. I did it now, which is fine. Um, okay, bye. The show starts in one.
Jalan sah. Shut up. Ush.